Optimal health for high performers. This is the Health Upgrade Podcast with Dr. Nawaz Habib. Hey everyone, it's Dr. Habib. Today's episode is going to be really cool. We're going to be doing an interview with Dr. Danielle Marr. She's a friend of mine from Chiropractic College. I'm really excited about the topic that we're going to be speaking on, which is upgrading your relationship with food. And as many people deal with, we have this emotional connection to food. And I really think this topic is going to be relevant to a lot of people, whether it's overeating or undereating, whether it's overeating specifically when it comes to weight and obesity and, and challenges from that perspective. But we also want to take a look at undereating and issues with eating disorders. And so this is going to be a really awesome conversation. Really quick bio on Dr. Danielle Marr. Dr. Marr grew up as an athlete in southwestern Ontario in Canada, where I am as well, where a healthy diet and exercise were always a part of her life. She trained as a doctor of chiropractic and thought that putting her certifications in personal training and sports nutrition together would really help maximize care for her patients. She realized very quickly without the proper mindset, we could get in our own way of accomplishing literally anything, regardless of what our plans were. Being so passionate about helping people helped her realize this and to lead her to pursue a career in professional coaching trained by the Institute of Professional Excellence in Coaching. She and her two-year-old son live in Bermuda where they take clients worldwide with a focus on removing the things that are blocking them from making important changes in their lives. Really excited about today's call and today's interview. Hope you enjoy. All right, everybody. I'm really excited to have this amazing chat. Thank you so much, Dr. Marr, for being with us. Thanks for having me. So we were just reminiscing a little bit about school and kind of our past and graduating a little over 10 years ago now, which is crazy. I'd love to hear your story and share that with the audience. So tell me a little bit about how you got into chiropractic and how you actually ended up shifting into what you're doing now. So I was an athlete growing up always running competitive figure skater. And that just made exercise such an important part of my life, 10 years old onward. Naturally, I knew as well, not too long after that, I started knowing that nutrition was important. And I'm like 12 years old and like bringing carrots to the movie theater because I just wanted to be the best athlete I could be. So I transitioned to running and I was always competing in something. So I thought what felt natural to me was, you know, kinesiology, exercise science. And I thought, how can I help people? Because I really want to help people. And I thought, well, is sports medicine the way? I'm like, I'm not sure. I want to like be more like hands-on and like more, a little bit more proactive. So that's how I got my mindset on Cairo. And obviously, you know, that was like an eight-year process. So got into that, opened my own practice in Canada, and then moved away into Bermuda, where I've been for seven years. But I even knew very early on in the process, like I I switched from running and actually I did Boston Marathon, Chicago Marathon, New York Marathon. I switched into, and I did half Ironman. So I switched into tries and I just had to keep challenging myself with more. So then I wondered why, well, you are such an athlete. Why do you not have a six pack? And so I was like, I'm going to get into fitness, competitive bodybuilding. So when I was training in that, it did not take very long to do one little thing, which is tweak my diet and change how I worked out to just like completely change my physique. 
So I started competing in fitness and that was great. I moved to Bermuda and obviously my patients were knowing they're like, you're jacked. <laughs> and, and it wasn't even that I had that much muscle. It's just, I was pretty lean. And so with my patient, I started doing, you know, we do nutrition consults. And so I got my certification in sports nutrition and I got my personal training certification just to kind of have a complete package, just to have, you know, the paper and whatever. But I realized I'm like, maybe this is how I can help people. I think this is the way that I can help people. And what I noticed through all of my training, I thought, well, now I have my license to be a chiropractor, nutrition, personal training. This is all going to come together, right? And what I really realized was what I was helping people with was their mindset on everything, not just training, not just like just everything in life. And I put it all together and I kind of knew, I'm like, I think, I think this is life coaching. So then I transitioned into coaching and that's what I'm full on, on the path to doing now. And, but over the years, I've recognized that mindset is so important for any challenge you have anything like health and fitness related for sure. Um, but just any goal in life, it's always our limiting beliefs that are holding us back or our excuses. It's the inner voice that we tell ourselves and our, who am I? Who are, who am I? Who do you want to be? Who are you telling yourself you're, you are? And where is that gap? And so that's what I can really take learned where I like to now share my experiences because I don't really give advice to everyone on how to, it works for them. I help them find what works for them. So when I've gotten to the other side of things like health and fitness related, that's the feeling I'm helping people find and helping them pick their brains and what part of their mindset is supporting that and what isn't. So I've definitely found especially emotional eating. That's one thing that I, I put out there and got an insane response. And I was like, all right, we need to talk more about this. Yeah. What a great story. And, and just being able to find what works for you, what you were kind of put here to do and, and feel the joy of doing what you are, are excited about, what, what excites you when you wake up every morning. Yeah. And I really love the idea of looking into that story. What is that story that we're telling ourselves about ourselves? I actually did a really amazing interview with uh, Johnny Dupre, who I highly recommend listen to if you haven't already um, heard of him. But he talked about therapeutic storytelling. What is that story that we're telling ourselves about our health, about ourselves? And then we're generally acting that out and living that out. And that has so much to do with our mindset. And you also had this really amazing point that I think I want to lean into a little bit, which was that you don't tell people what to do. You help them find the thing that they need to do for themselves. Yeah. And I find that so many doctors out there, so many practitioners out there are prescribing recommendations or giving, like telling people this is, this works and this doesn't. And that's problematic because Nobody knows your body better than you do yourself. And the job of any practitioner, any support person is to help you figure out what works best for you. And that sounds very much like what you're doing with so many people, whether it's in regards to emotional eating or whatever else they need coaching with. What's your experience with that? Have you noticed that when you give people that leeway to be themselves, to share what's going on with themselves? that they go to figure that challenge out for themselves. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you tell someone to do something, if something's a have to versus I, I want to, they're going to fail somewhere. 
because it's, they need the buy-in. And there could be a lot of reasons behind their have to. It could be, you know, a fear-based decision or conscious-based. It could be like, what am I trying to avoid? That's why I have to do it. But it has to be a value to them. And they have to ask themselves, what is important to you? And I can tell you, this is a huge example. Everyone can have a personal trainer and a nutritionist, and you're still not putting it together. What is going on? You know, it's like, what isn't working for you in this? And why? And if something is important to you, if you want to have like this Starbucks coffee in your life every day, because you just love it so much. And I tell you, you can't have that ever. You're going to constantly fail. And then every time you're failing, you're going to beat yourself up for it. So if that's something that's important to you, we figure out how do we make other choices in your life work around that? If that's just the example, but people, the buy-in is important. When you're telling someone they have to do something and they're just not buying into it yet it's not going to work for them yeah that makes so much sense and and i think this is a great way to kind of connect into the emotions and people's desire for feeling happiness or joy and and if that cup of starbucks coffee is providing that joy or that happiness or the thing that you love to do that's mm-hmm. an emotion right and that's an emotional reaction mm-hmm. what are some of the things that you commonly see with regards to emotional eating. I'd love to get into this and really dig deep into this topic. Yeah. So I thought when I was younger, I always had a sweet tooth. I thought I just had a sweet tooth and I liked sweet things. But when I go to eat them, I would eat a lot of them. And it was because in my head, I called it bad. It was bad. And anything that we label good or bad, we're going to then likely punish ourselves when we have too much bad, it's on the bad list. So of course, then you're going to eat as much of it as you can in that moment, because tomorrow it's going to be back on the bad list. So I didn't think I was an emotional eater because I thought emotional eating was when you're upset. So I'm not the girl crying over ice cream when I'm sad. That, that to me, I thought was emotional eating. Emotional eating is whenever you're eating for any emotion, for happiness, we, and we celebrate things and that's okay sometimes. I mean, we all enjoy food, right? boredom and stress for sure any emotion both emotional eating for you um a lot of it's autopilot and we don't even stop to think about it so that's when it can become a problem and it's affecting our health well then it's a problem so you know some people it's about physique and they just can't lose weight and it's like well what else is going on in your life because what i realized is i yeah i think i wanted to get a control of the emotional eating part of it because I was aware of my physique. So how come I could never lose any weight? Well, it's one, I was focusing on the food. I wasn't focusing on what else is going on in my life. And what do I think I'm putting the control over where if I went out and I fixed whatever was stressing me out or just went out and lived my life, if I was unhappy in my life somewhere else, that's when I was noticing I was more focusing on the food. So it really takes an awareness of your habits and you cannot change a pattern that you're not even aware of. And most people just eat, you know, just don't think about when they're eating and what they're eating. They just eat. And if you actually stop and think if you're eating and you're not hungry, that's emotional eating. Ask yourself, why am I eating right now? Like those emotions drive so many cascades after that. It depends on like, if someone's aware of their emotion eating and they want to fix it. It's like, well, what's attached to it? Is it affecting your health? Affecting your grocery bill? 
you know, is affecting your physique and your confidence. So yeah, that's definitely one of the biggest places to start is, is your emotions. Yeah. And becoming aware of those patterns and those triggers and those habits. And, and every one of us has triggers that'll push us in that direction. Right. And, right. and those that are able to overcome this are the ones that spend some time and, and some effort to become aware of those triggers and become aware of the patterns. And the, the patterns are really the key here and understanding what it is that's triggering that emotional response. And so this is where I'd love to kind of dig in a little bit more is what are some really common patterns that you tend to see or some common triggers? We, you mentioned a few stress challenges with regards to just overall inability to manage uh, emotions or just lack of awareness. What are some of the more common things that, that you've seen with, within practice? Definitely a big one is telling ourselves who we are. Who are you? I am. I've always been the person that does this. I've always been that. It's just who I am. Well, one is who you are. Is that who you want to be? Like, how are you showing up? Because if you're saying, well, this is just how it is, you're probably just going to stay that way. And so that is, you know, asking that who, who are you? How are you showing up? How would you rather be showing up? And, and where can we take responsibility? That was one big question I asked myself at one point is what would happen if I took responsibility for everything I put in my mouth rather than made it an excuse for everything? And what if I owned that and I put ownership on everything? Another pattern I find that it doesn't work for people and it comes down to diets is good and bad. So again, we say something's good and something's bad. And again, that can lead into a binge or overeating because again, I think I mentioned before, like if you are eating something that's bad or having a cheat day, first of all, removing the word cheat from your, your diet vocabulary will help because if you're cheating, it means you're doing something wrong. And if you're working on building a diet and the lifestyle you love, then you're not cheating, (laughs) but between good and bad, what happens is, you know, you hit a birthday party and you have a piece of cake. Well, normal people have cake at birthday parties if they want to. It doesn't mean, but then why do some people feel they need to eat four pieces of cake? Because they've said it's bad. They had it. They think they failed. And they're like, well, I'll get back on track tomorrow. So that is a huge thing I do find as well. So many people have, I failed today. I'm just going to go and like sabotage the rest of the day. And I'll start again tomorrow. But that, why do we do that? Well, it makes sense that we do that because it's a timeline of a thing. We're like, well, I already failed. So if I eat as much as I can now, it's on the no list again tomorrow. When people say they can't, again, it's like when you have to do something and want to, if you are telling yourself, I can't have that, you're like automatically want it. You automatically want it. When I was in off season and training, I would never go for donuts. But the second I'd be on like a training program and you're 12 weeks out, eight weeks out, every Saturday when I'm like, I deserve a cheat after leg day, I wanted a donut. Donuts weren't in my life before that. Why do I want it now? Because I'm telling myself I can't. Like that's a huge one. That's a really big one too. But yeah, most of it I'm finding is people um, beating themselves up. It's what are they telling themselves when they're failing? Like, and what rules have they made for themselves? that aren't working for them anymore. 
And it's a combination of all of those things that, that it's, then it's, what are the voices in your head telling yourself about the bad thing that you just ate that you failed with, that is now going to either, you can choose to sabotage a day or you can save the day. And, and that's, that's kind of how that spiral goes. The common thing that I'm hearing between all of this, and it's something that I've been really interested in more recently is the power of language, the power of words that we use. And the words like cheat, like bad, like failed, right? These are, these are words that trigger an emotional response. And this can create this, this negative narrative within our story that we're telling ourselves, which then creates this negative pathway by which we, when we can't have something, we want it. Or when it's bad for us, but we failed, just screw it up, mess it up that day, right? Like, these are really important. And so using some really powerful words in a more positive direction can help trigger us to be a bit better and actually create a positive response. And this is where neuroplasticity comes in, helping to help rewire the way that we think, rewire the, the thought processes that we have into a positive direction rather than one that creates this negative emotion. Choose and choice are better words for sure. What choice can I make here? And, you know, you have, you, you always have a choice and another, like we control the hand that puts the food in our mouth. You know, we control that. And so we can choose what we do there. And, yeah. and I really think that that connects so well with taking responsibility for that choice. When we, in our mind say, I don't have a choice, it's here, I must have it. Versus when we actually say, what choice am I going to make? And Am I going to take responsibility for this choice when I like see the candy lying around or the chocolate or whatever it is, I can say, okay, I take responsibility for having a little bit of it, completing my satiation, getting that, that taste in my mouth and not beating myself up about that decision that I made because I made it consciously. Right. Yes. And the other thing is, is if you're trying to change a diet that you've had your whole life, you have to expect that you're gonna quote unquote fail or make mistakes. You are gonna make mistakes. The key to getting through this is when you do is telling yourself that voice again, do you wanna be like the strict parent on the sidelines that's yelling at yourself that no one wants to listen to or you don't wanna be the cheerleader? How are you talking to yourself after you do that? And if you are expecting that, these little slip ups are gonna happen and that didn't work, but I'm working on it, but I'm working on it and I'm gonna figure this out that didn't work there. Then you reflect on it. What did happen? What was I feeling? It's like, it's how you respond to yourself when one making it a conscious choice, but how you react to yourself when you make that slip up that you didn't want to do. And that is the key in changing the habits for the long run and feeling happy and healthy about them rather than stressed about them. I really love that analogy that you had. Do I want to be that strict parent on the sidelines? That's like wound up and just messing up and, and pointing out the failures? Or am I going to be the cheerleader that has compassion that says it's okay, keep going, right? Like we don't see cheerleaders on the sidelines get really upset when their team is losing. They stay, get up, stand up, let's keep going, let's keep pushing and realize that it's not the end of the world if you made a mistake, move on, do something better. Realize that whatever happened didn't work for you and you need to create a new pathway. And that, I love how that connects so well to 
that positive behavioral change and understanding that it's about compounding and small little steps rather than expecting it all to change in one quick shot. Yeah. What I found helped with that on that note, which is interesting, the small changes well, I think about, I said, there's something about eating in stages where when we were in our teens and stuff, we learned what calories were like, Ooh, now we got to eat on calories. Well, then when I got more into fitness, everyone's talking more about macros, macros, you know, carbs, fats, proteins. It's all about that. And then when you move on and it's like, what came next after that? <laughs> the joke is we hit our mid thirties. Like, how does that digest? <laughs> how does that make me feel? <laughs> and, uh, I kind of forget where I was going with that thought, but that is actually the biggest secret was in how I very slowly transitioned. I allowed myself to make mistakes, but I, you then learn more about how your food feels. If I would eat like a bag of Skittles when I was studying back in Cairo college, and I would sit there with another colleague of ours and eat licorice twizzles and stuff that now we know destroy our lives. I look at that now and I'm like, I can't believe I ate chemicals. But if you tell someone who loves Skittles that those are chemicals, what are you eating? They're, it, they're not going to just drop it right away. They, it's a learning process that you have to learn to take steps slowly. You might move backwards a bit. You might be forwards. And as you see how what works for you and what doesn't and how you feel, then you attach it to them. Like, how am I nourishing my body? How, what am I giving myself? that's building me up and helping me and feel good. And when you realize and you make the connection that, wow, I feel good, I'm not bloated. I, and you learn those patterns, they eventually stick. So for me, the process was probably about a good four or five years. Then it goes back to the key of knowing I'm not there yet, but I'm still working on it. Yeah. And it, so you can get there. You just have to give yourself grace that it's gonna take time. You're gonna mix up, but it's a process. Yeah, the, the journey idea rather than the destination idea that yeah. you're on a journey, you're trying to create a plan that works for you. And, and what's really interesting is for a lot of people and for the vast majority of people, what worked for you in your teens won't work for you in your 30s, in your 50s, in your 80s. It changes. We change. Biochemically, we change. Emotionally, we change. Life situation and environmentally, things change. And so when change occurs, we need to be able to be resilient and strong and kind of follow how those changes occur. And so our biochemical needs will change as we age, as, as we grow. I really like this idea of, of being able to understand that it is that journey. It is a process. And if you beat yourself up that every, every time something doesn't work, you're, you're creating a negative emotional response and you're saying, well, that diet didn't work for me. Yep. Well, it was that pattern that didn't work for you. It was that, right. and, and you beat yourself up so badly on that journey that it caused you to think that this didn't work. But I guarantee if there was a different emotional pattern, there's a very real chance whatever you thought was going to work was likely going to work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And well, that's what we start with, with some of my clients. We start with, we don't change your diet at all. We say, you're going to eat what you're going to eat for two weeks and you're going to watch when you eat. Am I hungry? And when are you eating when you're not hungry? And let's just observe that. And that's it. And that's so, cause th that's why people want to see the pounds off immediately right away. But if we need, like we can modify the diet and still include everything you want in it and still lose weight. If we're 
you know, working, doing it in the right process. But I always know, I tell everyone, the best way to guarantee that you're never going to fix this is if you quit every time. Yeah. So if you keep quitting and, in, and, and actually every diet there is too, because if we look at this from diet, like I've taught, you know, we're not looking, we're looking for what diet plan or lifestyle works for you. If that's keto for some people, that's keto. That's great. It's not about the diet. It's how you feel about the food that you're eating and that you feel fulfilled and satisfied. And eventually when you do, and you're able to build this diet that works for you, you're not thinking about it all the time. So then you don't have emotions towards your meals and your food anymore. Yeah, and it's, those emotions aren't driving those decisions then, right? Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. I, I kind of want to shift to a different side of emotional eating, and that is in regards not necessarily to overeating, but to undereating and to mm. things like anorexia, bulimia, where people are dealing with emotions that are creating a negative emotional attachment to almost any food. Have you worked with yeah. many patients or clients that have these types of challenges and what have you noticed there? I have, but we also, so in that case, when people have an act proper diagnosis of anorexia and bulimia, actually, I've not dealt with any of that because if I did, I would definitely be sending them for therapy. So that's definitely a therapy thing. However, what I found myself involved with was disordered eating. Mm -hmm. And I never had an eating disorder, but that's what made me really realize when I was competing in fitness, what I did was make such a strict, schedule that anything that was off of my plan felt like cheating. That's when the emotions became involved. And what also happens is when we judge ourselves for the negative, you know, the negative feeling, it puts us more negative. Like it's catabolic to us. So what if the whole thing is we, we make one bad decision and the fact that we're now mad at ourselves for doing it is what makes us punish ourselves even more. So disordered eating, absolutely. I've dealt with that and with clients and myself and it, it is a process to get out of it and it's and again it's kind of the same process to be honest with you it's picking out what is going on what is going on how do we get here and coaching does touch on the past but we don't focus on the past and a lot of anorexia and bulimia have a lot of like you you know you need some therapy to help you deal with some dysfunctional patterns that are affecting your health with proper diagnoses so coaching is more where like, here's where you're at. You're, you're functional, but we want you to be optimal. Whereas if someone really is bordering that and an eating disorder, it's, oh, it's definitely like I've worked with people where we work with them and therapists, but often they have to find, they recognize where they're at and the buy-in is there. Buy-in, this is not where I want to be. Yeah. And they have to really be letting go, willing, if it's a, especially weight related, letting go that you're your body at this point, it's now impacting your hormones, your digestive system, your body doesn't know what's going on. So when you do eat normally, you might kind of inflate a little bit. You might not like how you feel. You might feel bloated and be holding. I remember knowing what it felt like to, I could bend my elbow and feel the skin because all I have is muscle. And I, I'm like, that's weird. What a weird feeling. And then when I started to get the fat back, it felt like stretching. It felt uncomfortable. And if you don't have a strong mindset to get through that, it's super common for people to fall back into, I got it. I, what I did, I was like, I'm going to sign up for another show and get lean again. I was like, that's the cycle that a lot of people in fit, the fitness industry can get involved in. So it looks really cool for a minute, not sustainable. That's a big, big thing. All sustainable is a key word in all of this. For sure. If your diet's not stable, you're not getting anywhere. But that's where 
where if people don't learn that they feel comfortable, even five pounds, Nevada's five pounds, I felt on my body that prior to getting that thin, I never would have known what that felt like. And so when you get to so in tune with your body to know how that feels, you have to understand that it's going to feel different. If you're underweight and you're trying to gain weight, you have to accept that it is going to feel different than you've been feeling. So, and this is any change, any change is going to feel different than what you've been doing. It's not likely going to feel comfortable. Most change doesn't because it's not familiar. So. Yeah. And, and that's where people tend to have challenges with this, right? Because familiar tends to be comfortable and we tend yes. to want to stay in this comfort zone that we've built out, even if it is creating a negative response within our bodies, it's that emotional comfort and not wanting to experience uncertainty or fear that discomfort that can come from making those small changes that we know will be very positive, but we are making these emotional decisions to, to actually back us off of that. Everyone wants what's on the side of change, on the other side of change, but no one wants to actually change because change is uncomfortable. And so we can embrace that, that I might not like how this is going and I might not like how I feel, but I don't like how it is right now either. I've always said this is, but, and we all know this, but if things don't change, then they stay the same. So you have to embrace change and we don't like it. It's not comfortable, but everyone wants what's on the other side of change. Um, they don't that. want to do the work to put it in. I love that line. It's so simple and yet so complex when you really dig into it, right? Oh, yeah. If things don't change, then they stay the same. Yeah. The simplicity behind that. That's amazing. Yeah. One of my favorite movies of all time, both from it being a Christopher Nolan movie, which is amazing, and for the idea behind it is Inception. And the idea that when we can when we can help drive positive change within somebody, the buy-in is what they need. And they need to think that it was their idea mm-hmm. to actually start making those changes. This is something that I like to focus on when it comes to helping people make those changes. And I think this is something that you likely do with a lot of your patients is helping them understand what they're actually experiencing and where the discomfort is and what story they're telling themselves about that discomfort as they go through this change. Let's talk a little bit about what are those initial thoughts? What are those initial ways to take those first steps to create awareness, to actually observe what's going on and to realize where these triggers might actually be coming from? Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things that most people really like, everyone has to understand is the emotions that come with it are normal like if they feel like they're not abnormal they're going to judge themselves for it and any anything any emotion that they're having around whatever you know whether it's overeating or under eating whatever it's normal for whatever is deep inside of them and that's what it starts with the first step with people that we try to figure out what's going on we explore the emotion if they know what that is but some people can't just say say this is how I am and I don't know why nothing works for me so what do we do and that's where I start with the first thing that people can do for a week or two is I say I don't want you to change a lot I want you to be aware but I want you to see if like when are you eating are you hungry and we can't explore a pattern we can't dig into it if we don't know what's going on so we need to see it the biggest thing for all changes is awareness and we with patients in chiropractic. Like if you, you can't change the movement pattern, you're not even where you're doing. So the awareness is the number one thing. 
And I always find a really good way to not put stress on people is to say for two weeks, eat whatever you normally eat because and write it down and just observe it. We're not judging it because if you give it a judgment, you're going to then start the process in your brain of how you're, that talk that you've been doing isn't working. We're going to change that part. But the first thing you have to do is what's going on here. And when you just write it out and look it out, you have the awareness of mm, that might not be helping me. It might not be serving me. It's not good or bad, but is it serving me? It, that's changing that too. That's okay. That's what you're doing. But is it serving me anymore? And then we look at that and we say, okay, well, where can we make tweaks that you feel are doable that you feel comfortable with? Because if you don't like what you're doing, it's not sustainable. And it, so it is a process and it is recognizing that this isn't a diet plan saying you're going to change everything and you're not, you're going to learn, lose X amount of pounds in X amount of weeks or months or whatever. If you're trying to change your lifestyle for the better, it's a slow approach and um, it's finding where, you know, I let it be up to the, the client on what do you want to add? Because the coaching side of things, that's to help me. What do you want to add? And what do you think you should remove? And then we check in what's working there. What's not working there. Why were you so quick to give up on your goals? Because that's the other thing too. And that's where we find people's values. So often when people are giving up or they're feeling guilty, it's because they're, you just have to listen to what they're saying, which is they're usually, they know why they're not doing it, but they can't really connect the two things. And it's just a misalignment of values. And that's where we find out, okay, what worked? What did you say you were going to do? And that you didn't do and it's just a slower process so the first thing i find helps is just writing it down what are my eating habits because we can't change that if you're not aware of it then look at it and just be aware how is it working for you like so far what do you think you can change what do you know and then i do the consulting side sometimes if i ask permission do you want think maybe we can add more water in here <laughs> do you think maybe if you can cut one thing can you try cutting that out? And then we can't change it all at once because we all know what we should be doing. There's a reason why we're not. Yeah. So that's the simplest step with most of it. I have a lot of little mind hacks too that I help people take with them. So like if you're interested in that, I think some of those ones are, are quite easy. To just little things I tell myself when I go up to certain situations, like buying things at the gas station and those things. Lots of little mind hacks for that. But when I were really looking at changing the process, it really starts as simple as just creating the awareness and then figuring out what are my habits? What am I doing? Who's doing that? Me. I'm responsible for that. That's the big thing. We'll get into those mind hacks in a moment. I think yeah. <laughs> awesome. there's a lot to unpack here and I, I'd love to chat a little bit about this. You mentioned judgment and not allowing judgment to come into play when we're making these changes and, and, and essentially, like, most importantly, when we are creating that initial observation of what are we normally doing? What are those first couple of weeks looking like? Not judging it, just becoming aware of it. And oftentimes we, we tell ourselves or we tell a story that somebody else is judging us, that it's us against the world or it's us against something where in reality, it's really us against ourselves. The real source of that judgment tends to be our own 
thoughts and our own negative emotions in, res in regards to what we're doing and knowing, oh my goodness, I shouldn't have eaten that. I, I feel terrible about this. And we're creating this negative judgment pattern, but we're stating that it was somebody else that told us or somebody else that's yeah. creating judgment and passing blame. And I think that's where responsibility and, and taking responsibility can do a lot of positive, a lot of good for people. Yeah. When we judge ourselves, we are our worst enemies often, right? But then we feel guilty because we're doing something we think we should have done. And I'm sure you've heard people should all over themselves, <laughs> should all over themselves. But should is could with shame. And so what value are you not in align with if you're judging yourself? I mean, that question is not something people think about when they're working on a diet plan. What value am I not what honoring here? Yeah. <laughs> the approach is very different. No question. I really like that. Should is linked to shame. Wow. Should is could plus shame. Wow. Really good. I like that. Okay. Let's get into some of those mind hacks because I think people are really excited about what, what can I say to myself? What are the questions I can ask myself to make sure that we, we make smart decisions that, yeah. that will actually serve us in a better way. And I like the idea of understanding that is this serving me or not doesn't yeah. create an emotional response. So that's mm -hmm. a great way to ask yourself a question. Is this serving me or not? And not creating an emotional attachment there. So uh, just as a quick little side note, but let's get into those, some yeah. of those awesome hacks. Well, in that note too, is, is it served me or not? It has served you to a point at, or, at, or at one point, does it need to serve you from here going forward? No. So that's why there's no judgment needed. The other thing is, so one thing that we can do too is also rules, we, which you can look at the rules that we've written. So how many times were you told when you're younger, finish everything on your plate, right? And then the other things, so how does that, how did that work for you then? Maybe it made you eat your vegetables, but how is it serving you now? What's on your plate? Maybe you don't want to eat it all in one go. So rewriting rules, write down all the rules. That's a big one. Write down all the rules that you're eating, like what you say is bad, what, like anything where you have a rule around food, write it down and challenge it. Is it still serving me? Is yes or no? And if not, how can I rewrite this? Do I get rid of it completely? Or can I rewrite it so I am more successful more often? But one of my favorite hacks, I have a couple of them. And some of them are really just ways of thinking about it. What I realized while competing in fitness was that if I wanted an Oreo, this is my Oreo cookie hack, and it just makes me stop and think, how badly do you want this? And what is the result going to be? Because if I have one Oreo cookie, okay, if I, have, if I have zero Oreo cookies, I want that cookie. And if I have one, I want two. And I was notorious. I'm like, well, I can eat a whole row if I want. I'd eat a whole row. And how did I feel at the end of that? I still want one more. If you are always going to want one more, if you've had none or if you've had 10, how am I gonna feel in 10 minutes if I go down that path? And I always give myself another option. And I'm like, if I'm genuinely hungry right now, an apple or a banana or something else will work. And if I'm done that and I still want that, we reevaluate it then. But what I also found was, I call it my grandmother's banana bread. So I would go down and get a coffee I get my coffee, whatever. And there's always a huge piece of banana bread there that is probably the size of a whole loaf. And I'd be like, oh, that looks good. And I grab it. And it was never as good as what I wanted it to be. But I kept buying it. 
because it was banana bread because I always wanted my grandmother's banana bread. I love banana bread. It's warm. It's her recipe. It has butter on it. And I'd eat it. And I'm like, this is so disappointing. Every time I'm eating this, this is not what I want. So then I stop and I think if you're going to have like a cheesecake, that's your favorite cheesecake in the whole world. And it's your birthday or friend's birthday or whatever. And you know that you're feeding your soul, you feed your soul. But if you're going to eat that and it's going to be emotionless and empty and because it's not, you know, emotional eating, you can still get emotions when you're eating. Oh, this is amazing. I'm a foodie. I love this. But if it's, if it's going to create guilt, you can choose to stop eating it halfway through if it's not meeting your needs. I'm like, actually, this is not very good. And this isn't what I thought it was going to be. So I always call that my grandmother's banana bread and thinking if what you're about to grab isn't actually what you want, that's going to fulfill that like craving or whatever you want in that moment, then reevaluate. I'm going to feel worse after this than better. Then again, I can reevaluate. I found, and actually, again, this is a choice thing now or later. So I would say, okay, what do I want for breakfast? And often I'm pretty good at having scrambled eggs and maybe some fruit or whatever. But if I hit lunch, I found at one point that I used to always have two cookies at lunch, but I then, so not having the cookies was hard. I wanted them in the day at some point. So then I was like, well, what if you can have them now? So telling myself I couldn't have them anymore was really hard. So I'm like, well, what if you can have them, but you can have them at dinner time. You can have them later. Do you want them now or do you want them later? So I'm really good at pushing it off, which I learned. So I'm like, you're not saying no, I'm going to have these. And I wouldn't even push it to dinner. I'd be like, what if you have them at three o'clock instead of 12 o'clock at lunchtime? So just putting it off you and you're just delaying it. So you're not saying no. You're testing your willpower in that moment of like, how much do I need these right now? I'm in a habit of having cookies every day at lunch. But now that I'm aware of that habit, do I really need them? If I'm still hungry, could I have like, you know, sometimes I found just a coffee would just, you know, replace that something that's less calorie dense or just having an extra glass of water, or a couple extra bites of my actual lunch to make sure, are you satisfied? Are you having the cookies at a habit? Then what if you save the cookies for your snack? And by the time I hit that time, I'm like, well, actually, I also have an apple. So I'll eat the apple first. What if you put the, push the cookies for later? And these are all things that over time helped me make new habits. In the moment, I still felt they were a struggle, but there were just different ways to look at that. Again, when you're looking at choices and we say it's good or bad, the other thing we can be aware of is, well, what's good about apple and donut? In eating the apple, you're not only avoiding bad, but you're getting nutrients. Whereas if you're eating the donut, you're not getting nutrients and you're getting all the crap as bad for you. So I looked at them as double positives or double negatives. And just, again, that's when you look at what's fueling me, what do I want out of my food? I think one more I would say is, and there's a few more, but there's, but one more was just time shifting. I always stop. And that kind of is involved in all of these stopping and thinking that's gone. If I'm chewing that, okay, I smell it. Actually, this is good. I was at an Italian restaurant with a friend one week before I was stepping on stage. I am not allowed to have pizza. I am not allowed to have lasagna. And what I realized was I was getting half of her experience. I sat there and it looked amazing. I smelled it. My mouth was watering. I'm like, in that moment, I'm like, this is so weird. But when I like thought about it, I was like, the only thing I'm missing right now is putting it in my mouth because the second she swallows it, it's gone. The second I would swallow it, it'd be gone. I have a really nutrient dense meal right here. It's really delicious also. 
but smelling that food was an experience in itself, as silly as that sounds. I was like, once I swallow that, it's gone. So in that, when I think about those things, it's in your mouth and then it's gone. I was like, in that moment, how would I feel in five minutes if those bites were gone? I time shift five minutes or 10 minutes. And I'm like, if your belly's full of nutritious food and you're not hungry, you, and then I do go back to delay. I'm like, you can have that another time, but what's going to better serve you right now? And it just takes time practicing all those little things. And just to note on that, that smell thing, where I realized there was some validity to that is I actually went to a hypnotist. After I was done competing, I said, I can't stop thinking about what I can't eat. And one of the things she did to me, she said, on a, put a Hershey kiss in front of my face. And she said, how bad on scale one to 10 do you want this? I'm like, 10, like 10. And then, and she, and she said, smell it. And it's still, and as I sat with it too, I was like, this is such a weird thing. I was like, this is so goofy. But when I thought about it, I was like, I was still getting the experience in a way, like when I sat with it and let it sit there, the initial emotions that come that feel like overwhelming, they go away. It's just there. And so between all those things, like I remember, is it, is this really what you want? Because if it genuinely, genuinely is, find it a way to incorporate that into your diet, whether it's daily or whatever, we figure that out. But if it's not actually what you want, why are you eating it? And that's a lot of the things that come with crap quality material. Like it just, it's like the Skittles and the junk and the things that we're getting nothing out of that are definitely making us less healthy and not actually serving us in any way. I love that. I love all of these hacks. They're so wonderful. I know so many people are going to grab so much value from this. And I think really at the end of the day, the, the key thing here to remember with all of the hacks, with all of the recommendations, with all of the choices that we have is to do exactly that, to give yourself a choice and to not judge yourself for the choice and to be compassionate with yourself, but to pause that pause and to just stop for a moment and say, is this serving me or to do like, can I do it now or later? What are those, those things that I can do? But taking that pause is the most important piece of this. And you can't take that pause without awareness. Yeah. Right. When you know the pattern that's going to come from this or the, the path that it's going to take you down, if you catch yourself before you go down that path, you've given yourself an opportunity to make a different choice. Yes. And it starts with just that. Just recognize it and pause and you're not going to get it right every time but learning again to then not beat yourself up when you don't these are things that are interesting because they're not included in any single diet plan yeah so you don't tell Great you these question. things <laughs> yeah so don't don't tie yourself to a diet and be stuck to that diet if you're not able to make choices about these things and yeah. i love this the the choice is really the key here you can almost call it the choice diet and to repattern not what you're eating, but the choice that you're going to make or the ability to make that choice is mm-hmm. a new pattern that we really need to create. And then we can make that choice depending on how we feel about it and what's going on in that moment. Can I have it now or later? Is this really going to fulfill me? How am I going to feel if I just have one or if I have 10, right? And, and making those decisions accordingly and the awareness and, and that choice moment really are key to this. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for this. This has been such an awesome conversation. So clear, the importance of mindset, the importance of of understanding our emotions and the the specific drivers of our patterns and why we feel the way we do. 
This has been absolutely wonderful. If people want to learn more about you, your work, and, and uh, kind of follow what, what's going on with you, where can they go to learn more? Yeah, well, I have my, my website, drdaniellemar.com. My highest engagement or the platform I use would mostly be Instagram, Dr. Dmar. I have a lot of projects coming out very shortly. So those will all be the information on all that will be mostly through my Facebook and my Instagram, all under my name. And I do have a self-coaching program for just starting to kick off your, your wanting to change your emotional eating. Some people might find a lot of this very empowering and enough to be in itself a tool to use to move forward and you know if they follow through the questions and really think about themselves and their daily lives and things that they don't even think are related to their food and that can be a really great place to start and sometimes people need a little bit of help just to be very specific to them for which I'm available for like one-on-one sessions after that so I always try to find the plan or program that works for everyone specifically just like diets are <laughs> The importance of individuality and understanding Absolutely. each person's specific needs. Yeah. So, so strongly aligned with what we do at Health Upgraded and, and yeah. such a wonderful way of supporting people to create real change in their lives. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much again for this amazing conversation. It's amazing to always catch up with a classmate and Absolutely. be able to, uh, to share the amazing work that they're doing. I will for sure be putting all of the links that we talk about and and the links to the upcoming programs that Dr. Marr has onto the show notes. So make sure to go uh, check those out if you are interested in learning more and please do follow her on Instagram. I love all of your Instagram posts. They're so wonderful. Uh, And it's great to just be able to keep track of you, even though you're so far away, but still so close. That's what social media does for us these days, doesn't it? (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, Navaz. This has been wonderful. Thank you so much, Danielle. This was awesome.